Hello and welcome to the pilot episode of the Keep It Quirky podcast. So the episode you're about to hear is actually living on my YouTube channel. Um, It was kind of an experiment, and I loved doing it, although as you can hear, the audio has a ways to go. Anyway, I hope you enjoy it. We certainly had a blast doing it, and many more fun things to come. Thanks for listening. Miss Joey Noki, welcome, welcome. Hi. (laughs) I've been here the whole time. (laughs) He has... She, she didn't just appear on my couch in London from Canada. No, so tell everyone why you're here in Europe. I, I'm here. I came on a Europe trip. That's I've hilarious. always wanted to go around Europe and travel around it. And this was kind of the first opportunity. And then I'm here and you're here. And it's so easy to justify flying over here because I get a free <laughs> night stay. We are so happy to have you and Sam. Sam's here as well. Um, you know, the, the full team of Feeling Packish. Oh, thank you. We're happy to be. <laughs> and uh, I, can't, I can't help but um, notice that you brought a little something from Belgium. I did. Yes, I did. <laughs> just some beer. Ooh, la la. I mean, not just some beer. Ooh, Belgian beer. Thank but you. I figured it would be really good for getting the vibe. Oh. <laughs> ASMR. <laughs> <laughs> She's good at ASMR. Do your ASMR voice. I, I, I realized I'm already kind of doing it because I feel like it's so intimate to talk into a microphone. I'm normally a very loud talker. I'm similar to you. I'm really animated and I'm really loud, so I feel like I really have to bring it down when right. a microphone's are here. Totally, and it does make it feel more intimate, doesn't it's it? It's very intimate. Ooh. This beer is good, though, This hey? beer is really good. I'm it's, excited to see what you think. It's really... I already had a sip. I'll yeah. keep sipping. Okay, so what's the alcohol content of this guy? I don't know. <laughs> I think their <laughs> minimum is like 10%, so <laughs> you we have little glasses. Take teeny little glasses, just a little, just a little something to mm-hmm. get the vibes going. Podcasts are hard. <laughs> okay, so the first question mm-hmm. that I'm going to ask you, um, because you you know kind of like my reasons behind the slogan, keep it quirky, right? I'd say so. Give yeah. or take. Yeah. But it can be a little bit different for everyone. Mm-hmm. So how do you, Julie Nolke, how do you keep it quirky in your life? Oh, <laughs> that's such an honor that I get to apply the keep it quirky slogan to my own life. I think at the most fundamental level, it's about having fun. I think that, especially when you're, I don't know, the world kind of sucks right now. Yeah. And there's a lot that sucks. And <laughs> that, that can be really upsetting. But I do think that there's a lot to laugh at. And particularly in the stuff that I do, we do a lot of comedy-focused stuff, a lot of silly stuff, characters that are just so dumb. Like some of the ideas I have in my head are so dumb. And I'm so lucky that Sam, my partner, my filming partner, and also like my life partner, how else do you say my boyfriend? All of the above. He lets me do these crazy, stupid things and is just like all the support in the world because I don't know, I I feel you just have to laugh at stuff and you have to find comedy. In a way, it not only makes the challenging stuff more talent tangible to deal with um but it also like life is too short to to take stuff too seriously you know like I don't necessarily I could never see myself in a nine-to-five job not that that's necessarily a, a bad job but I I just always wanted to break out and do something and do something really fun and something that kept me excited and I think that's keeping it quirky 
I think that you keep it quirky like a champ. Yeah? Yeah. No, Thank I you. love that. I love everything that you just said. What I think is um, interesting and important is that, yes, you keep it quirky. You do these fun, like, sketch comedy bits and everything. But you also are able to turn it around and do more serious content like Oil Men, your short film that is hitting the festival circuit now, um, also in terms of being a businesswoman. So there, so yes, you keep it quirky and you keep it light, but then you are able to, to turn around. And I think that's the only way to be a successful entrepreneur. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think, I think you've got to do something that is fun and that's different for everybody. And I know that now. I didn't always, when my parent, both my parents are accountants. I was like, how could you ever choose that as your career? But my mom loves it. She like, she gets off on the idea of like really hard bookkeeping or yeah. and she loves it. And I think that's at the most fundamental level as we kind of breach into adulthood and are figuring out our lives and making some big decisions. You've got to have fun the entire time. Well, not the entire time. Some of it sucks, but... The ratio. The The ratio ratio has got to be right. Yeah. Yeah. For your parents, accounting is what gets them excited. Mm -hmm. For my parents, they're both eye doctors. So I like how we both have parents who have the same career. Well, oh yeah, both. I was like, like, my parents aren't eye doctors. (laughs) Like double eye doctor, double accountant. Did your parents work together? Yeah, they owned a small business together. Really? They still own it, yeah. Really? Yeah, my parents have their own private practice together. Well, they did. They just sold it. They're retired now. I wonder if there's a connection between that, like seeing our parents being entrepreneurs and together, and now you and your partner have a small business together. Yeah. I wonder if there's a link. Well, I... I kind of think the opposite because the entire time my mom has said, don't work with Sam, do anything you can to work with Sam. It's not worth it. Don't work with your significant other, you know, because I mean, it's, there were hard years. You're growing a business. My mom was getting her, um, it's not a master's degree, but it's her accounting certification, but that was a ton of schooling and classes while I was really young. And my dad was starting out this private practice. Like it was not ideal. Um, But I mean, one of the perks and you can speak to your parents is that they were both good at very different things. And that's very similar to Sam and I, um, complimentary. It's complimentary. Yeah. Yeah. And there's very little crossover. You know, I cannot figure out, I cannot do camera work in the same way that Sam does. I can't get a broad picture as in the same way that his director mind does, you know? So we, it it works pretty well for now. When are you at your most creative? Like time-wise in the day or? In general, what makes, what makes you tick? What makes you, or is there something you can do when you're feeling stuck? Yeah. How do you get unstuck? Yeah. And this is actually a great question, Katie. <laughs> great podcast so far, Gosh, by the way. Thank you. Thank you so much, Julie. <laughs> um, I started doing this thing at the beginning of this year in January because I was feeling really stagnant. And especially in this YouTube world, you're constantly having to be creative, even when you don't want to be, when there's nothing left in the tank, there's another video posting day coming up. So I was getting frustrated with the fact that I kept putting out mediocre content and I wasn't happy with the ideas. And so I started doing this routine where every single Monday I wake up at probably six, six thirty. I like put on jeans, don't even shower. I don't wake up Sam. I get my 
bag with my notebook and my laptop and my phone or whatever. And I go to this coffee shop. It's the same one every week, every Monday. And I sit there for two hours. And sometimes the two hours are really successful. Um, And I even, I keep a little time chart. So I make sure like I don't leave there before the two hours is up because what I've learned happens is that you usually get there, you have your coffee and you just stare and nothing really comes. And then maybe I start writing down words. I mean, for me, I'm trying to think of either sketches or recipes, but this could be broader. This could be if your domain is music or anything where you kind of have to really push the boundaries of your brain and creativity. So I'll write down sentences or I'll write down, you know, maybe even YouTube videos that I watched recently that I was like, oh, that had something that I'd love to recreate. And I sit there for the full two hours and most Mondays I come out with three or four video ideas. Sometimes it's not so successful. Sometimes I just like write a poem or draw a sketch, but I think it's, it's a good act of kind of honing your creative time in because creativity, it hits you anytime it's ready to hit you. And sometimes you're not ready for it. Sometimes you're, it's four in the morning and you don't have access to a pen and paper. Sometimes you're on a bus and you're like, oh, I need to write this down. There's nothing there. So I'm trying my best to kind of really focus in that time and using it to my best ability so that I can be most creative. I love that you've made it into a habit. Mm-hmm. And do you feel like that routine element is important? to cultivating ideas actually happening within that time? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of counterintuitive to create creativity in general because it's really hard to control your creativity or your imagination. But I do think that, um, I think because it's the same setting every week, it's the same notebook. I have this, and I also have the same expectations. There's no rules. I don't have to walk out of that coffee shop with the next brilliant idea. It's just write whatever comes. And a lot of those videos don't get made. But I do think um, you have to give yourself the permission to come up with crap ideas in order to kind of fish your way through and, and get something that you're actually really excited to make. Speaking of creativity and how you foster your own creativity, um, you know, in thinking about the kind of podcast I wanted to do, it's like, okay, well, I want it to be something about entrepreneurs, right? Mm-hmm. People who have an idea and make it happen because that's what I am. That, that's what a lot of my friends do. And I think that there's a lot of juice there to mm-hmm. talk about it, but not just entrepreneurs. It's like creative entrepreneurs, like the creative element is something that is so fascinating to me. And that is in conversations with people like you, that is what gets me really excited. And, and so, um, have you heard of the term creative preneur? No. <laughs> I think that's a word. It's a like hashtag it. on Instagram anyway. But so, and I think that that is what it really came down to. It's like creative preneur. And it's kind of two opposites because yeah. to be an entrepreneur, like you have to be so business minded and task oriented and to be creative, you, you know, it's, it's such a different world almost. Yeah. So how do you stay task oriented or how do you tackle like the marketing angle, the business angle of your business? That is my least favorite part. And that's the part that I think I create the most excuses for where I'll say, that's not my job. That's not what I'm good at. You know, even though it's like, no, it is all your job actually. (laughs) I know, (laughs) but I always use that as an excuse. I'm always the one to say, you know, I'm the creative mind. I'm the actor. I'm the writer. Give me a pen and paper and I'll make you something. Don't make me 
figure out my finances. <laughs> Don't make me market my stuff. The other thing is that that goes kind of with what you're saying about how they're contradictory ideas is creative people are very vulnerable. You know, it, it takes a lot to make something and put it out into the world. Never mind the fact that you, that the world is then expecting you to stand behind it and sell it as if it's good. Because most creative people I've met, they're not obsessed with what they've created. You know, it's just a part of the process because they want to make something better. So like Oil Men has been a great example. That's been one where I've really had the learning curve of making something feeling the way I feel about it, which is very proud, but there are things that I'm excited to do differently next time. But now I'm at the point where I have to stand behind it and I have to sell it. I have to get people excited about it. Um, and I have to really kind of own this outside exterior of it being the bomb, you know? And that's, that's like, I feel like any actor, a creative person who has a brand, you kind of got to sell yourself. You got to sell your shit, even if you don't think it's all that good or you're very vulnerable or self-conscious about it. When you're having your particularly vulnerable or self-conscious moments, do you turn to any particular role models or any other women or men, but probably if you're like me, like women who have Mm -hmm. done similar things, um, who do you turn to and why? I think there's lots of different female role models I turn to for different reasons or different circumstances. Um, if it's our job specific, it's usually other women in the industry. It's usually you or it's, we have a friend of ours, um, in New York, Jen from just eat life. It's the close knit friends who I know are in the trenches with me who are still fighting. I know that makes it sound a lot more intense than it actually is. Cause it's not fighting. We have wicked jobs, but we were talking about this before, but it takes a lot of bravery to continually produce content, put yourself out there and not really have any sort of validation as to whether or not it's good. So I really look to women like you or other people in our industry in terms of like high level role models. I mean, it's usually actors more than anything where I'll look at Meryl Streep or Charlize Theron or someone like that who is a really rockin' person and their job is not who they are. Their job is a thing that they do. And I try and remember that it's not everything that I am. It's just this entity that I keep living and breathing. Uh, but I'm also trying to be a good person and, you know, keep putting good stuff into the world. That is a fine line of remembering that I am not what I do when I think we mm-hmm. care so much, like what we do is so essential to who we are. Mm-hmm. And so, it, um, such an expression of who we are. I think that that's so important to remember. Do you have any like books or podcasts or something that you will reference back to? I come back to, uh, big magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. The, I was telling you about it. It's a book. She's the writer of eat, pray, love. Um, she has an amazing Ted talk on creativity. That's years old. Like I saw it in university and it's still bookmarked on my laptop as one of the very first things, because every now and then you're like, Oh, I'm not, not feeling it today. Not brave enough. Not whatever it is feeling too vulnerable. So I'll watch that. But her, this book, big magic is really, uh, empowering. It takes this whole career of being a creative person off the pedestal. Um, her whole mission statement is don't, 
don't put pressure on your creativity or don't put pressure on something that thrives in freedom. Um, it's not your job to say whether it deserves to be in the world or not. You just make it. That's your job. You keep your head down and you make stuff that you think is good. And you make it because there's a part of you that needs to make it. Yeah. Yeah. And I have, I also have this quote on our fridge. I have a bunch of quotes on our fridge. I am such a quote girl too. <laughs> you? Okay, yeah, give me, give me the quote. I have this one quote. I can't even remember who it's by, but it's, um, I'm going to totally butcher it, but it's basically, um, again, it's not your job to decide whether or not your unique creative expression deserves to be in the world. You are the only one of you. And if you deny the world that creative expression, it never gets it. You know, one of the reasons I love that so much is because it's reminding us that we are all individuals and there's enough space for all of us Mm. in this industry. And I think so often with social media and the numbers games that can be played. Oh, how many subscribers do you have? Oh, Mm. really? Okay. Like how many followers do you have? At least internally, like it can be so easy to compare yourself and and make that judgment like oh i i don't deserve to or what or or they don't deserve, you know like yeah whatever and that we all bring something very individual and very unique to the market i love that i love that you're saying there's enough space for everybody that's yeah. cool i i and agree i totally agree with you i think that's a nice uh, sentiment to think about though thinking of social media what are what are your thoughts on it and the fact that it is such a massive i mean we're both youtubers right yeah it's such a big part of what we do and i don't know man (laughs) i don't know i would be lying if i said i didn't enjoy it um i like to think i'm beyond social media you know there's a part of me that does i just want to be the actor i just want to play the characters um I don't care if anybody knows my name. I just want to play this role and get engrossed and have nobody really know what my personality is because my characters are so different. But I love Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) I love, I love, um, communicating with an audience. I didn't realize I'd love it. I, for a long time, I was very like, I don't want to breach that boundary. I don't want people knowing about my life. I don't want people knowing who I am. And then you realize that these people are just incredible and they're going out of their way on a weekly basis to say wonderful things about you. How could you not want to communicate and develop that community and start a conversation? And that's when I kind of realized more and more about that boundary between I am not my job, but part of who I am is about being a good person in the world. And I think by building a community that's really positive where people feel like they can discuss what they need to discuss, or they just want a good laugh, or, you know, they just want a positive space to go once a week. And I'm facilitating that. I think that kind of breaches and goes into the, you know, being a good person outside of just like driven career woman business, want to grow an empire or whatever it is, you know? Do you like social media? Are you a fan? I, I mean, I have my good days with it and my mm. bad days with it. Overall, yes, I, I love I love the engagement aspect of it. I love talking with people through it who I would never, ever be able to talk with. Mm. And um, I enjoy the connection aspect of it, um, but I do not enjoy the comparison aspect. Mm. Well, and I mean, let's be honest, in order to get any sort of paycheck... 
it's how many followers do you have? And let me, let me decide what your value is based on how many people liked your photo or, you know, it is competitive in that way. And that's the part of it that kind of sucks. And that's where it goes back to that whole bravery discussion of you just have to keep putting stuff out there, even if nobody wants to pay you for it or what do you tell people like flipping the mentor thing around or the Mm -hmm. role model thing around? I'm sure you're a role model to a lot of people, be, like your audience. Shouldn't people, be. You're a role model to me in certain ways. I mean, you Aww. you are. You're inspirational. And what do you tell people who come to you? I feel like I ha- I probably have a spiel, and I probably think it up right now. I think that at the end of the day, I'm. I just feel so at the beginning, mm-hmm. you know, I guess if I offered any advice, it it's goes back to, I feel like a broken record. It goes back to just, just do it. Yeah. Just, if there's something that you want to do that keeps you up at night or gets you excited or, you know, just do it. If you're working a nine to five job, if you're working, I you know I worked at a restaurant for a really long time so I could audition and, I would call in six so I could go to an audition or go to a callback and you just you make those sacrifices because you just you just are a believer that something's gonna happen and now I'm I'm starting to see that something always does happen and it's a different path and it takes a different direction but you kind of just have to be strong enough to take those first couple steps and then you watch the avalanche in a good way I mean yeah. it's a great, great avalanche, avalanche. <laughs> all the good ones, ones. only none on the bad, the bad ones only yeah. the good ones yeah so like you had a full-time job for a year and a half while you had your YouTube channel as well yeah, well, uh, longer because I did I did my YouTube channel for I've had it for I'm not same as you like three years is that where we're at? Um, I think I started mine a little bit before you, but um, yeah, I worked at the restaurant bartending, and so we would film. We tried to do bulk shooting at first, and that was hell. We would just film on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, try and do ten videos, and it was oh. insane. And then we kind of got in a rhythm where it was shooting in the evenings or shooting in the weekends. Um, and then I started a nine to five office job and that got even more difficult. And I started, um, also doing contracted videos. So we would do our weekly videos plus three videos, sometimes more a week for, um, Tastemade who you work for as well or work with. And that got like the time where it was just about time to choose which fork in the road I was going to take. That was hell. And it always is, but it's always a good place to be because you know that you're at the beginning of something incredible. It's just really, really hard to get over the hump. I want to lighten the mood a little bit here. Although I have enjoyed our heart to heart. Our saucy, our saucy voices. Yeah, our saucy voices. Um, What's the most ridiculous story you have from your Euro trip? (laughs) Or if you're allowed to tell Oh my God. (laughs) I have like, we have a couple. This is the first time Sam and I have ever traveled like this we've never really done the tourist thing we're gonna go multiple places we're gonna backpack and we read a lot of travel blogs that you really should do a hostel in berlin that that's the place to do a hostel you get to meet people you go partying and the partying is insane there so we're like yeah we want the berlin vibe um it turns out i'm way too freaking old to be in a hostel like not not old like there were people my age there but like I like hotels. I like when nobody sleeps beside me. So we get there the first night and there's this wonderful, um, girl from Montreal and she was so great. She was so cute. And then there was this great couple from a different city, uh, a small town in Germany and they just come for the weekend. 
and uh, everything was great. We all, we didn't party together, but everyone, it was quite amicable. Um, and Sam and I were tired. We had traveled that day, so we go back to the hostel after a few drinks, and we go to bed. And then the Montreal girl comes in. It's like 2 a.m., but you don't mind. It's a hostel. You don't care. People come in late. And she goes to bed. And then this German couple comes in, and they partied hard. They're, like, banging stuff around. I was like, it's fine. It's a hostel. It's a hostel vibe. That's fine. Um, oh, and I forgot to mention. So there's only six beds, and it's an ensuite. So there's a bathroom with a very thin door, which I knew was going to be an issue. I thought it was going to be an issue for a different reason. But unfortunately, one individual of the German couple got sick in the middle of the night. Really sick. sick. Like, too much to drink. Sick. Way, Way too, too much, much to drink. drink. And just so audible <laughs> and I and I look down to the bottom bunk where Sam is and he's like this oh my god <laughs> it's the grossest thing I have and you have to and you just sit through it and of course the polite Canadians were sitting there and they the German girl left she just got up and left because she I'm sure in her mind she's like I'm not dealing with this shit but all the polite Canadians are just like I don't want to embarrass him because he probably doesn't feel very good and like we'll pretend like we're still sleeping it was not ideal and that was the first night and then we had just like a series of rough nights in the hostel okay so food Uh uh-huh that is one of the things that we love (laughs) (laughs) correct yes like you know makes us friends yeah our love of food correct right And there's so much more. We we're very multifaceted, Mm -hmm. but I feel like I would be remiss to not bring up food in an episode with Julie Nolke. Yeah. Um, Big time. Because you have a lot of passions and food is just one of your many passions. Mm -hmm. So you started a food blog before you started the YouTube channel. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't even know how... I guess it started because in university, that's like the first time when you start cooking for yourself, you know, and you go grocery shopping, you're like, oh, I can pick anything. Mm-hmm. Then you go, oh my God, everything's so expensive. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, I have no money. But, um, so we would have these really long rehearsal days, really long classes. It was pretty intensive, uh, degree, but, uh, I would pack lunch, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And so some of the girls and me in my conservatory class would get more and more creative as to what we would bring. And it would be curries or it would be these like weird beet salads that we would try and make. And and then we'd have these potlucks and everyone would kind of one up each other. I was like, oh man, I really love cooking and I love discovering food and I love calling the shots. You know, I get to put what I want in it. You know, recipe telling me what to do. And, uh, yeah. So when I graduated, I just like had the bug, got bit by the cooking bug. Um, I mean, I cooked a lot with my dad. My dad's a big cook. Um, and right after university, I met Sam and I was like, I want to do something, but I don't want it to be related to acting. Like I, I want to be creative and I want to work on something, but it can't be in the acting world. Cause that kind of makes me feel sad because I was in this weird place where I was really vulnerable. wasn't booking a lot of jobs and it's like, it can't be about acting. It's <laughs> just, that's just depressing. And it was really Sam's idea. Well, I guess I started the food blog and he would take pictures. And it was Sam's idea to say, hey, why don't we start filming this? Because he needed to practice. Um, and I wanted to practice being on camera. And so we made the first episode. And it was 
awful. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask, what is it like looking back at that? Because you are so good on camera. You, you it's like you just like reach through the camera Aww. and captivate. No, seriously, you're, you're really, really good. Have you always been that good? I mean, what, what are the thoughts that go through your head when you watch that, that first video? Well, the biggest thing was that I did not think I was funny. Now I kind of, now I'm kind of like, oh, that was a good joke. But um, before I thought it was going to be a serious cooking show. I was obsessed with Giada and Barefoot Contessa and Nigella, um, Rachel Koo and Sophie Dahl. These are all like amazing female, like TV chefs or online food chefs. And so I wanted a serious cooking show. I wanted something that was going to be really sentimental and moody and yeah oh yeah and have like moody music so I had this like Zoe de Chanel music which I didn't realize you can't use <laughs> music rights restrictions right. oops um but yes and it took a long like the first few episodes are me trying to do a serious food show and like and then there was one episode where I completely part of my French fucked the whole recipe up <laughs> I messed it up royally and we didn't have time to go back and Sam was like, we just are going to have to use it. And I like, I swore in it. I was like, I'm going to swear on my cooking show, you know? And it's like, oh man, it's just such a disaster. And then we were in the editing room and both Sam and I were just cracking up because we were like, that's, that's more like it. That's the proper show is, and even before that, like when I was in university, not to take too much to talk about this but I thought I was just a dramatic actor like I played all the dramatic roles I thought it was not funny sketch comedy I did a little bit in high school but I just feel like I lost it in university university was so serious I was always playing a serious Shakespearean character so I thought that that was my destiny and then turned out that I just love to laugh and just being stupid is the best but it took you a while to find that footing Way too long. (laughs) What is your go-to meal to make for guests? Ooh, that's a good question. I do like really amazing homemade tacos. Mm. They're different every time with a nice spicy either chicken or pork. A good taco is really hard to beat. Homemade salsa, grilled peach. You can put grilled peach in the salsa. And so you've been to Mexico, right? And what was your taco experience like there? Heaven. Right. the, The food there is like, oh, and it's cheap. You can eat as much as you want. You spend no money. <laughs> it's uh, no surprise, but it, the freshness of everything, the produce. I mean, they're making the tortillas to order, which is so crazy. The barbacoa where they cook this lamb. It's an entire lamb in agave leaves for hours and hours. And they let the drippings go into this broth with chickpeas. And so you can get a barbacoa taco um, where they put the meat in um, and some of the onions and then, or you can get the soup, which is at the bottom. So some of the meat has fallen through and you get the chickpeas and the onion and the broth. <gasps> oh, it's insane. I feel like for anyone who's listening that loves food and hasn't had the opportunity to travel very much, or they're a little intimidated to travel, um, you know, the conversation we just had about the food you ate in Mexico and how... <laughs> That it was so delicious, but also it probably helped inspire your favorite go-to taco nights, right? Travel is everything. If you want to understand food, music, art, architecture, anything, you have to travel. Um, You have to travel anyway. 
I mean, there's nothing that broadens your mind more than traveling. But on the topic of food, I mean, yeah, the techniques, like even something as basic as food techniques, that is different from country to country. And it's a beautiful thing. And what I love about traveling is you just pick up little bits and pieces. You don't have to learn full recipes. I mean, some of the things we took away from Mexico, I've applied. Some of the things didn't really work, but... Or, or I, I just don't apply on a daily basis, but, um, and that same with this Europe trip. I mean, like something as simple as they, we had this homemade mayo. I had fries and mussels when I went to Belgium, which is a big thing there. And this woman brings over this homemade sweet mayo. It's a little garlicky. It's a little horseradishy. And I was like, I have to make this. I have to f- recreate this because this needs to be in my fridge at all times. And it's little things like that where I, I don't like mayo and fries normally. <laughs> like I don't, I'm a ketchup gal, but I had that, and it's it just opens your eyes. I mean, it's so simple. It's so stupid. It's just mayo, but um, I do think that that experience is something that you'll gain in every single new country or new city you go to. You're exposed to people who are passionate about their food and usually more than willing to share it with you. And, uh, yeah, you take it home and you teach someone else. You make a YouTube video, whatever. <laughs> whatever yeah. floats your boat. I think eye-opening is the key point there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Eye-opening for the palate, for your heart, for your mind, for your opinions that, you know, may be so, so certain. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. I realized we've talked about so much your amazing career that's going awesome places, your background, how you deal with things, food. (laughs) We've talked about all these things and that I uh, never really introduced you. Like this is Julie Nolke, but like, what do you do? Like, how do you describe? (laughs) So now that everyone like knows your history and what you're into and all these things, how do you give us like, you meet someone on the elevator and- Oh no, I'm the elevator fish. I just got panicky. (laughs) But like, you know, on your business card or whatever, like Julie Nolke, who are you? I'm an actor and writer and creator of the show Feeling Peckish. We specialize in uh, comedy videos that straddle the world of food and how-to and comedy, and we hope to bring entertainment to all. Julie, thank you so much for being on my first ever thank pilot you. episode of these, the podcast situation. How was this experience for you? Good. Good. I don't think I'm going to bring beer next time on account of the burps. Did you see me like... <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for doing this. It means a lot to me. Thanks for having me. Yay! Keep it quirky. There it is. Booyah. <laughs> and thanks to my brother, Brian Quinn, for the funky theme song. I'll be right back here with another guest next week.